Well, Father, I pray that the message that is to come from this messenger, messenger today, human as I am, I'm submitted to you and to the Holy Spirit. And that it is not my humanity that speaks, but the gifting, the calling, and the divine one that is inside of me that uses the vessel to speak. I thank you, Father, that your words penetrate the most hardened heart. I pray that you soften and prepare each heart, each mind, and every ear to hear what needs to be said and what needs to be heard and what we need to take for us to be able to live. I thank you, Lord, that in this message today that you are glorified. And I declare that as the word is being ministered, that signs and wonders will follow your word. And there will be great healing, restoration, miracles that will occur in people's lives because of the preaching of the word of truth. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Say amen again, please. Amen. That's better. Before you sit down, just tell somebody, I'm ready for the word this morning. And then you may be seated. Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. John chapter 4, well, let me start off by saying this Tuesday night is prayer meeting here in Whitbank. And the people in Johannesburg, for the moment, we're going to let you uh, view it as a, as a live uh, prayer connect uh, for the moment. There are some things that Pastor Sharon and I are praying about in terms of the prayer connect groups in Johannesburg. But for the meantime, live prayer will be here. I invite you to please come and pray. Yes. I leave for Ethiopia with uh, a couple of people that are going with me to, to record it and, and all that sort of stuff. But we're going to Ethiopia and uh, we're starting our live Bible school there. And uh, we believe and trust that there will be a great impact because of the Bible school that is going to take a, a hold and touch thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people in Ethiopia. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So John chapter 14 verse 6 in the Passion Translation says, Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. This is a scripture I've been using as, as one of the scriptures to talk about relationship and the resurrection power of Jesus in relationships and how he views relationships and how he can restore relationships. It's, uh, it's uh, quite significant to me that if I go to a young person today and I say to a young person, uh, tell me what your thoughts about your future are. Uh, they will more likely, more than likely say they would like to have a good, happy, satisfying, wholesome relationship and 
significant and meaningful one for the rest of their lives. They will probably, they may or may not tell, tell you that they may want a family. They will probably tell you that they would also wish to have financial independence and not be broke all the time and poor. Tell me which young person wants to be poor all their life. Tell me which young person says, I want to have broken relationships wherever I go. Tell me which young person says, well, I want to be sick the rest of my life. Now, I mean, this is quite obvious. A young person who's got their future ahead of them, they want to have meaningful relationships. They want to have, they don't want to be poor. And, uh, they, want to f- and they want to have some significance about their lives. Right? And they, want to be, they will want to be able to live life with a great sense of confidence and assurance that what they're doing is, is moving them in the right direction and, and creating opportunities for them to be not only happy but significant. So relationships are very important. And Jesus died so that he could restore relationship between us and the Heavenly Father, with us and him. And with the Holy Spirit, most important relationship we'll ever have. There is no greater relationship you can ever have, ever, ever, ever. There's no woman, there's no man, there's no friend, there's no brother, there's no sister. There's no relationship you can have in this earth that is more important, that has greater impact, that has greater power, and can influence your future more than the one that you have with Jesus. That you one that you have with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Come on, this should just make sense. So there's absolutely the foundation right there that if we give ourselves to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, if we give ourselves to that relationship, that all other relationships will begin to have what you have with the Father. This is... Not just sensible, but it's spiritual. I have a lot to get through today, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that I will speak as uh, slowly as I have to, but get through as much as I can. And I'm trusting that I will be able to finish my my message that the Lord has given me today uh, because of the significance of what I need to be saying. Luke chapter 6 verse 8 in the New King James. Most of my scriptures will come out of the New King James. Occasionally I'll have an Amplified or a Passion Translation. So it's the New King James unless I say so, say differently. Luke chapter 6 verse 8 says, But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. The important thing for me is he knew their thoughts. I ask you today, do I know the thoughts that you're having right now? No, but Jesus knew their thoughts. How is it that Jesus knew their thoughts? He got it from the Father. Because God knows all the the thoughts of men. He knows what's in your heart. Matthew chapter 12 verse 25 But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, 
and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Here again, Jesus knew their thoughts. I read the rest of that scripture because division is not part of what God does. Because God is united. Everything that God does is in unity. So I know I'm teaching a little bit this morning. I've got quite a lot of graphics to show you. That's why I'm reusing the lower pulpit. So that when the graphics come up, I can talk dynamically to the graphics this morning. So just stick with me while I'm, I'm teaching out of the scripture. So Jesus knew their thoughts. John chapter 2 verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of him for he knew what was in man. So is it possible that, I mean, Jesus knew exactly what was going on in their hearts, right? He did. How did he get to know? It's again, Jesus in his humanity was not a mind reader. But because of his connection to the Father, God showed him what was in their thoughts. So every time you can say what was in his thoughts, you can, you can just add to that. He knew what was in their heart, their emotions, their soul, their thinking, the, the, the personality, the, the character of the beings. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what was in their heart, why they were doing it. Because the Father showed it to him. Are you all in agreement with me? I'm teaching the word of God here. Okay. John chapter 6 verse 64 says, 64 and 65. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. So once again, Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe. Again, Jesus is revealing that he doesn't just only know what's going on the outside. He actually knows what's going on the inside of men. It's important for me to establish a foundation here and let, let me ask you the question. If you are a born again Christian and you are in union with him and you are filled with him and you're reading his word and you're doing what he says you should do, that it's possible that God will reveal men's hearts to you. You will know what's in their thoughts and you will know what's in their minds. And sometimes, as Jesus says, he would not commit himself to them because he knew all men's, he knew all men. He would not commit himself to them. There's actions that Jesus took or there's actions he didn't take because of who he knew he was talking to. Come on. So his relationship with the Heavenly Father was much more important than the relationship that he was having with the people that he was talking to. Even though he was sent to preach to them and teach them, his first priority was to obey Jesus, obey the Father. 
Amen. All right. So this next slide you know very well. If you put the slide up, it's the slide that I talked about last week. I'm just going to make sure that you can see it properly. And I'm going to just uh, talk to it for a second. The left-hand side is the person who is committed to God, who has oneness with God. He understands, he or she understands that in order to effectively have your life the way that God wants it, you have to have it through the church. You can't be an isolated individual and you can't make up your own mind about what's good for you and what's not good for you. You've got to be part of the church to, do, to have that experience, right? And it's because you're connected to the church that God will use the church for personal growth, for financial increase, for the things that he has for you, gifts and callings, careers, for rest and recreation, health and fitness and relationships. All of it is because you're part of the church, the ecclesia of God. It's not because you just are alive. And it's not because you can just connect with people. It's because the church is the place where we, we, where we should be operating. Now, the next slide I'm going to show you before they put it up. I just want to talk to it for a minute. It's got quite a lot of wording on it. So I'm going to ask you, please allow me to read it to you. From the, from the outside of the slide, and I'm going to go to the inside of the slide, and then I'll, I'll reverse the order. So um, I don't want you to be reading the slide behind my back and try and figuring it out for yourself because then I'm going to lose you. All right? So let's go to the next slide, please. So if you can see that the self-existent one, the God, the great I am, he is the one who has plans, purposes, and pursuits. He has plans and purposes for you. If you see at the bottom, he predestined and he foreknew. So because God predestined and foreknew, I've put him on the outside of the circle. Stay with me. Don't look at the slide. Stay with me. I've put him outside of the circle because God is outside of time. So God is in real time able to recognize and see right now Abraham and Isaac and that whole situation that happened 6,000 years ago, more or less. Because he's outside of time, everything that's happening in the universe in the time of man is dynamically still operating in God. So whilst we can't look back 6,000 years because God is outside of time. There is no linear event that is taking place. It only is a linear event in the time of men. I know this is mind-blowing. I know it's for me too. But we think that God is, is, is uh, limited to the way that we can actually figure him out when actually God is seeing everything happening all around him because he's the self-existent one. He always has existed, always will exist, and anything that he creates is already created in him. So it couldn't come out into reality without it already being in him. So because he already saw it in him, he could speak it out. So nothing is happening already that hasn't already happened in him. So if it happened in him before he could make it happen outside, then it's already still in him. It never left him. 
So everything from the beginning of the time of man to now is always been in him because he's the self-existent one. What other God would you want to serve anyway? So the self-existent one, there are heavens and where he exists, there are angelic hosts and principalities and powers in heavenly places. These beings were created by God and one of them he created. He created with a will like him. He used his will to go against God or to try to be equal to God. And therefore you have two sets of of beings that are active in the universe in the space of men. I don't want to get caught up in the book of Revelations and the book of Daniel and all of the different creatures that they saw. I'm not here to prophesy about the future. I'm not here to talk about prophecies or anything about the end times. I'm here to speak to you about us now. Okay? And the creatures that operate, creatures that exist in the human realm are angelic hosts. Those are people, those are angels that are sent from the throne room of God to minister to you and me and to be part of our lives continuously and hearken to the word of God. There are other beings, there are principalities and powers in heavenly places. I'm going to show you out of the word of God today that in the same way that in God, in in the angelic hosts, there's an order of a hierarchy of order of, of more powerful and greater authority angels, it exists the same way in the principalities and powers and in heavenly places. So what you've got in angelic hosts, you've also got in dark forces, evil spirits. Well, why would they do that? The only thing they know how to do is operate what they saw in God. They have no other way of knowing how to operate. People say that the kingdom of darkness is in chaos and every, every demon does what they, what they do. It's just not true. They know what the authority structure is because they got, they only know, they only, the only way they know how to be is the way God created the order to be. So when they came out of the presence of God, they just came with the same order. So when they target cities, when they target people's lives, when they target things, they're not just randomly targeting people. They have a a structure and a hierarchy that goes after things in the time of men, in, in human beings. So those angelic hosts and principalities and powers... There is a meeting and the, and, the, and the circle that is dominion, rule, authority, reign, heavens and realms. There is, this is the meeting place. This is the intersection between spirits and people. So in people you have nations, realms and kingdoms. So the intersection of where people operate and where angelic hosts and spirits operate, the intersection is in where you have dominion, where you have authority, where you have a rulership, where you reign, and where heavens and realms are in which to reign and to rule and to have authority. Hello. So if you are a people, if you are a people and you are a a God person that is in Ecclesia, then as a people, you can begin to operate in dominion and rulership and authority 
and reign in the heavens and all the realms that are encompassed in the heavens. Okay. If you are a person that is self-oneness, you are likely to be the person that the dominion, rule, authority, reign in heavens and realms are going to impose themselves on you. Whereas if you're a God person that is in Ecclesia, you have the, the, you have the authority to exercise that. So that one, the person who's in the Ecclesia is supposed to exercise authority. The one who is a self-oneness will have it exercised upon you. Come on now. Which one of these people would you rather be? Well, whether you like it or not, if you are in self-oneness, you're chasing your own dreams, your own desires, your own goals. You're saying, it's all about me. It's all about what I can do. And church is just a part of my, it's part of my organization. So I've got friends, I've got business, I've got uh, fitness that I do, I've got fun that I do, and I go to church. It's just something that I do. Then you are living in a self-oneness state Guess what? In the self-oneness state, you think you're in control of your life. I've got news for you. I don't care whether you're healthy, wealthy, and powerful. You are being exercised upon by dominions, authorities, rule, and reign. And those principalities and powers are exercising it over you, over your life. I'll show you from the scriptures. I'm going to leave that scripture up there if you'll keep listening. I'll leave that graphic up there if you'll keep listening to me. Okay. So, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the place where angelic host principalities and heavenly places. He created the heavens. And he created the earth where people's nations and kingdoms would event, will eventually live. Who created them? God. Like I said, in the beginning, it came from him. Okay. Verse 26. So let's make, God said, let's make man in our image. And then I'm just going to read a few select uh, statements out of here. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. dominion. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Verse 28, then God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue it. What is subduing? What is the, another word for subdue? You rule. You have authority. You reign. Yes? Have dominion. So he's telling men, I created the heavens, I created the earth. You have dominion. You have rule, you have reign, you got it. Everything that's in the heavens and everything that's on the earth, you have authority. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed his nostrils into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. 
Well, how close do you have to be to breathe your breath into a clay vessel? I mean, you've got to be there. So let's just consider for a moment that we don't, we, don't, we don't know what God looks like except that we, He closely resembles us. Must do. Because He said, let's make man in our image. Right? So given that, we do know that when He breathed His life into man, He was here. That was the beginning. In the Bible, all theology will tell you that the, the, the principle of tension is the principle of the pattern. So this is God showing us how he wants to have relationship with us. Right here. Right here. So when you say, but Pastor John, we are spirit beings now, God... He's in our spirit. He is. But in everything else you're dealing in with his, within your life, he wants his breath to be yours. He wants his words to be yours. He wants his thoughts to be yours. Right here. He speaks to the children of Israel. He says, keep your, my words in front of your eyes. Keep them in your mouth day and night. Do not let them depart from before you. Close up. Remember what I said about intimate. So God wants to be close up and intimate with you and me. Then he's into me, you see. Intimate into me, you see. So I can say quite safely that right at that moment, God was going into me, you see. Adam being the first of all men to be born, he breathed his spirit life into man. And that's why from that moment till now, the enemy and the world has been trying to be, has tried to substitute the into me you see with so many other things that cannot fulfill, but the lust of their flesh take them away from God and they refuse to give themselves completely to God. So they are not into me, you see. So the more you give yourself to the things of the world, the less you can be into me, God, you see. And so chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die so that death we all know that they didn't actually physically keel over and die when they ate the fruit right what happened was that they got separated from the self-existent one who is the source of the same form of life he designed and planned for us Okay, so just hear me out now. The minute they chose to do something different to what God said, the act of them choosing to do diff something different to what God said separated them from the self-existent one. 
and his whole plan and his whole design as the source of who we are was that we would never be separated from the self-existent one and that we would always be able to live the life he designed and he planned for us. Which means the self-existent one who is always, always present everywhere. He is the one that said, if you go with God first place, you put me first place, I will reveal myself in such a way. And it is, it is my choice that you be reconnected to me, the self-existent one, with all of the life that he designed and the plans that he has for you through Jesus. You cannot achieve this by yourself. Okay, I have to, for a moment, just get here. How many of you represent Jesus the way he lived on his life, fully and completely, 100%, you look like Jesus? How many of you have all the gifts and all of the, all of the workings of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis the way Jesus did? Hmm. Who does? All of us. All of us. We are destined, all of us together, not individually, together. And I'm going to get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We are destined as the ecclesia to have dominion and rule authority, reign heavens in the heavens and the realms, and all of the realms of the heavens. We are destined to have the authority, not only in, not only as it pertains to our life, but as it pertains to what God desires to show the heavenly realms that Jesus is the church and the church is Jesus. Okay. So the serpent, chapter 3, verse 1 to 7 in the message translation, the serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. And the serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. Hold on a minute. They look like the self-existent one. They live like the self-existent one. There are actually many versions of self-existence. And this being is coming and saying, he doesn't want you to eat of that other tree because then you'll really know what's going on. And to this day, people still feel that the only way that they can really know what life's all about is if they taste of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When the woman saw, verse 5, sorry, God knows that the moment you eat of the tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating, and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. Huh. 
still today, still today, women want to know everything. <laughs> Moving right along. She took and ate of the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. Immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. What? You mean the devil told the truth? Saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. Now look what happens in verse 22. God said, the man has become like one of us, capable of knowing everything ranging from good and evil. So what, what was it that the, the devil was telling the truth? God never wanted man ever to know the evil side of anything. And still today he sent Jesus so that we don't have to know the evil side of anything. But all of humanity want to know what everything's really all about. So evil is in the world. So people want to blame God for all the bad things that happen to humanity. But it's humanity themselves that want to know what's really going on. And when they say what's really going on, it means they actually want to know what's in the demonic spirit realm as well as in the, no, in the heavenly spirit realm. But you can't serve both. So... What, he, what if he now should reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat and live with this knowledge forever? Never. This cannot happen. So God expelled them from the Garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they have been made. So I think it's quite clear that when you take matters into your own hands and you don't obey God and you follow what you is your dream. Didn't Eve say she wanted to really know what's going on? Other versions of the Bible said, Bible will say Eve saw that the fruit was good and it looked good for the eating. So she was impressed by what it looked like and she was impressed by the fact that if she ate it, she would know something that Adam didn't know. And she wanted to know everything that God knew. Huh. But God, there is no sin in God because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that within him there is no shadow of turning. There's no variableness. He's only pure light. So God doesn't have knowledge of evil. He only has the knowledge of what evil does. So he never wanted man to have the knowledge of what evil does because evil immediately shows you that you are naked and you are ashamed and you are guilty. He never wanted that for man. He still doesn't want that for man. And so he had to expel them from the garden. The rest of my message I'm going to use the scriptures to reveal to you what happens that there is activity happening in angelic hosts and principalities and powers in the heavenly realms and I'm going to show you how they influence us as human beings and that they have 
They are here to help us and to show us dominion, rule, authority, reign in the heavens and in the realms because whatever happens in the realms of heaven, in the different realms of heaven, will happen on the earth. So Genesis chapter 28 verse 12, this is Jacob. He dreams and behold, a ladder was set on the earth and its top reached to the heaven. So are you, do you see here that there's the earth and there's the heaven? And the, and there, the angels of God were ascending and descending. They were going from where? Heaven to earth and earth to heaven. So I'm proving to you from the Bible that this kind of activity that happens between the heavens and the earth happens all the time. Genesis chapter 32 verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Who was he wrestling with? Well, the Bible refers to as it as an angelic being, but... It's likely that he was wrestling with the Lord. But either way, this is a supernatural encounter of a spiritual kind. So why wrestle? Obviously, the, 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 the spirit being has much greater power and authority than Jacob. Why was Jacob holding there? First of all, the angelic being was permitting himself to be there. He could have any time overwhelmed Jacob. So he stayed there because God wanted him to be there. The second thing I believe is Jacob's faith was holding him there, not his physical strength. Because you can't match the physical strength of an angelic being. So it wasn't his physical strength. God wanted to mark Jacob so that he would never forget this event and his strength in the natural would always be diminished because of an encounter that he had with God or a God messenger. So he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now you will know from the messages that I've taught that this is the blessing for Jacob of identity change. And all of us need to have an identity change that we are not just Christians that have church as part of our lives, that we are Christians that belong to the church and the church belongs to us. We need an identity change. But he was wrestling until he said, bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. How is it possible that he could hold him there? His faith was holding him there. His demand for blessing because he had faith for blessing was holding him there. The only powerful force that is enough to, to confront anything in the spirit is not your physical strength. It's your faith. It's your demand on the spirit, on the spirit of God that you place with your faith. I go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. Sorry, God called to him. God is in the spirit realm, right? The spirit realm is calling to Moses who is in the natural realm. Based on, he's just looking at a burning bush right now. And he said, here I am. So he turned aside, uh, why does the bush not burn? So when the Lord saw and he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Here is a direct transaction of a spiritual realm being coming onto the earth and the very earth that they touch has now become holy because the spirit being is on the earth. So the spirit of God, God himself, the self-existent one has decided to come onto the earth and when he comes and touches the earth, it becomes the holy place. And from the place of holiness, where the spirit being God himself is, is, is deciding to encounter man, the man must come to God on God's terms, not on his terms. Because God says to the man, you cannot come near to this place. Take your sandals or take your feet out of the sandals because the place you're standing is holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Well, he wasn't looking directly at God. God was in the, in the burning bush. So, and the Lord said to him, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. This is someone who's in the heavenlies. He recognizes the forces of the principalities and powers in heavenly places that are oppressing God's people. So he comes from the heavenly realms and he's coming onto the earth and he's coming to make things right. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the, all the other arts. Chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. And Moses went up to God. So now they're already out of Egypt. They're already in the wilderness. They're already encountering God a lot. And they've had a whole lot of demands that they've placed on God. We don't have water. We don't have food. We don't have meat. And every time they murmur, God answers them and gives them what they're looking for. I think it's fair to, safe to say that they were fairly self-centered. 
They're not really worshiping the God that delivered them. They're always demanding something from the God that delivered them. Huh. Those people, they didn't get to get to into the land that flows with milk and honey because they made demands because they were self-centered, even though they were living under the protection of the covenant God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be living under the protection of God and miss my plan, the plan and purposes that God has for my life. It is my choice. And it is your choice. You can choose to follow your dreams, your desires, your goals that you set for yourself. Or you can choose to follow God. And some people might say, well, I do follow God and I read the Bible and I pray every day. Therefore, the desires that I have are God's desires. If you're not actively involved in the Ecclesia and you don't know what your role in the Ecclesia is and what the Ecclesia's role is in your life, you cannot say, I know what God's desire is. You do not know what God's desire is. You have a desire and then you're counting on God to bless it. You may say, you're preaching good, Pastor John. The singular thing that I've told you is the reason why so many people walk away from faith. They walk away from church. They walk away from God because they make their own plans and their own purposes. And they love God. They are born again. They are saved. But they want to go about life the way that they've choose, chosen to go about life. And so then they... they Say, but listen, my serving God is enough because I'm disciplined in my prayer life. I'm disciplined in, in my tithing and whatever I'm disciplining. Therefore, God must bless my life. Oh. Oh, if you're not saying it, you're thinking it. So therefore, I've done what it takes to satisfy God so he must bless me. It sounds very much like your relationship with God is based on your terms. Doesn't sound like your relationship is based on I'm seeking him first and then all the things that he wants me to have will be added to me because I'm seeking him and his way of doing things, which is righteousness. That person is firmly under the principalities and powers and heavenly places. They are being impacted. So you say, oh, but I'm not having encounters with demons. How do you know? How do you know that demons are not speaking to you when you go into a lecture room at a university and the, and the person sitting on the standing on the podium is saying things and those things enter your thought life and there's demons that come and take those words because they know you're in the class of that liberal thinking of do things your way, pursue your own life, pursue your own goals and suddenly I've got a whole new perspective or a whole different perspective on life because I've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil and now I really know what. What's going on? And so you think, no, I'm just liberal. I'm open to new ideas about the way Christians can do things. I'm open, about, I'm open to new ideas about the way Christians can live morally. Surely God doesn't have a standard, a moral standard that is 
from 2,000 years ago when the, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. And now we're living in a whole new life of, of liberal agendas and liberal ideas. And certainly God, is, 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 His grace is available to everybody. The answer is grace is, is available to everybody. But that grace that's ev- available to everybody is not going to put them into authority. They ain't having no dominion. Excuse my good English. They ain't having no dominion, no authority, no reigning, no ruling. They are being ruled over. By what? The very desire that you say you are open to is the very desire that's ruling you. I mean, come on, when you actually begin to pull the veil back and see what's going on here, you can see how the world has been so manipulated by the enemy for this liberal agenda to come to the church that everybody can say, it doesn't matter what church I go to, it's okay for me to go to any church that I choose to go to. As long as the church is actually progressive and it's got the new, it's got the new sounds of worship and it's, and it's got all the, all the good things. It's a motivational, inspirational message. I'll go to that church. That's the church I want to go to. Inspirational. I'm going to say it again. I've said it a long time ago. I was not called to be an inspirational teacher or preacher. I'm called to reveal to you the ecclesia of God. And some people won't like it. In fact, Jesus had that, I mean, I spoke about it even last time. Jesus didn't come to actually please people. Jesus only came to please the Father. And sometimes he said some things to people, certainly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people that really supposed to have known the Bible. He riled them up because he had an answer for everything because he was answering with the wisdom of God. He came to confront those who so-called knew it all. Hey, I've got to keep moving here. So, Genesis 19 verse 3, a lot of stuff has happened with the children in, in, the, in the wilderness. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Doesn't matter about all the murmuring, doesn't matter about everything. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and I brought you out of that place of of absolute oppression and I borne you on eagles' wings. In other words, even though you've been walking around in the desert, I have been gently carrying you through this whole process. This is God speaking to his people. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Huh? All the earth is whose? The earth does not belong to the devil. Neither does the gold or the silver in the earth belong to the devil. Anglo-American and all the other mining companies from Russia and South America and Australia might think all the minerals belong to them. They're just excavating it for wealth. 
which is going to go where? It's supposed to be the wealth is laid up for the just. But the just are not getting the wealth. Why? Because all of the Christians are living in self-oneness. The time of Ecclesia needs to be here for us to have a transfer of wealth. This is not just a matter of I'm going to pray and I'm going to make a few declarations and I say, thank you, Lord, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I'm the just, so I command all the wealth of the wicked to come into my hands. It's not going to happen. Because you, you might have some of that happen because you're a covenant child. You might have things that God will get you to believe him for that there would be wealth in, in the house of, of, the, of the Lord. But the transfer of all of that wealth, that they're mining out of the earth that belongs to God, it's not going to happen because one or two people believe it. This is going to happen because the ecclesia is in place. So, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. And believe you, Moses, forever. So in the meantime, Moses has been going to God and God's been speaking to Moses and Moses has been the messenger. And all of these things they've been believing because Moses is the messenger. Now God is going, says, because the children of Israel said, I, we will believe God and we'll believe all the words that you tell us. I'm going to come in a thick cloud on the mountain of Sinai and I'm going to speak to you, Moses, and everybody's going to hear my voice. So that they will believe you forever that God is actually God speaking to you. It's not a God from Egypt. This is the living God speaking. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. I want to tell you people that we cannot have a relationship with the almighty living God if we don't wash our clothes. This is not putting your, your clothes into a tumble, into a washing machine with some Omo. This is about you putting on the robes of righteousness and you being washed and clothed by the blood of Jesus. That's when you begin to start a journey that will take you into the proper place of Ecclesia. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. In other words, this is a holy moment going on. Yeah, you're not even supposed to have physical intimacy with women, with wives. Husbands and wives stay away from each other. So this is a moment of separation, consecration, dedication. This is a holy moment. 
Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was a thunder, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Do you think Moses' relationship is any greater than the relationship that we have with the almighty living God, son of God? Let me tell you something. When the ecclesia begins to understand who we are in Christ Jesus, he will not only speak, he will speak with power, he will speak with thunderings, and he will literally shake the wealth loose out of the earth. And he will literally bring us to a place of reverential fear. And the awe and the fear of God will be overtake the church of the Lord Jesus. And anybody that watches us in action will be afraid of us like they were afraid of the children of Israel when they went to Jericho. Chapter 20 verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. So Moses brings them near. Now they fall, go far away. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. From that time till now, there is this whole process that has entered into the church. Whereas pastor, you hear from God and then you speak to us, but we don't want to hear the awesomeness and the thunderings and the lightnings of God that wants to deal with your heart and wants repentance for you in your life. As a general rule, not in this church. I know that this church you seek in Ecclesia. You want to hear the voice of God. You don't mind if he's going to come and shake and rattle and roll your cage with his power and with his might and with his glory because he's wanting you to stand in a level of authority that you can say, I hear the voice of God and I heard what he said and I'm saying it back to you. Hallelujah. Then they said to Moses, you speak. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So Moses knows God now. So he goes back into the thick darkness to go and speak to God. Hello. Those people that are living in Ecclesia, those people that are, are, are saying, I want to hear the voice of God. They're not afraid of what God's going to say. They draw near. Now, come on. I have to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to get into the New Testament in a minute here. I've got a lot to, I've got a lot to say. Lord, help me. Are you getting something out of this today? 
I'm going as quick as I can, but I need to be as accurate as I can here today. Come on here. There's a messenger who's meeting with God. God says, I don't, I want to, I want to take you out of the equation. I don't want to remove you as a messenger, but I want to talk directly to the people. When he does, they say, no, we don't want to listen to you. Uh, we want to rather listen to you, not to God. Not too long in the next couple of chapters, there's an encounter that happens where Moses is actually getting the orders from God and they make a golden calf and they begin to worship an idol because they wouldn't hear God. So why should they hear the messenger of God? It is unfortunate that there have been many messengers of God that have uh, done many things that have disqualified them as a voice. But it doesn't change that there are true messengers of God on the earth that God will use to bring a message. And sometimes when you're, up on the, when you're in the cloud hearing things from God and you can see that God shows you the hearts of men, people don't like it. They rebel against it and then they want to have words against the messenger. And if they, because the words are there to discredit the messenger. Because if you can discredit the messenger, then you no longer have to think that he's coming from God. Because once a person who lives in self oneness, my own dreams, my own goals, my own desires, I can't afford to hear from a messenger who's actually coming from God and, and wants the ecclesia because otherwise I've got to change the whole, my whole profile. I've got to change my program. I've got to stop following what I want. What I want, when I want, and how I want to do it. You shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't tell me anything about anything. Just you preach. And I'll decide how much of what you say I'm going to listen to. Hmm. Oh, Pastor John, you're being very confrontational this morning. No, it's not me. This has been a message coming for weeks now. On the contrary, I want, I want to tell you something that's happening to me. is the fire of God is burning in me. You guys, all of you, have always known the prophet uh, is Pastor Sharon. And that sometimes the fire will burn in her and she will bring messages. But as an apostolic leader, sometimes God will let the prophetic voice come out of me. And I will speak with the fire of God. All these messages that, messages that I've been speaking these last weeks, this is the fire of God. My delivery might be a little bit different, but this is the fire of God. This is the order of God that he's bringing to his church because he wants his church to be powerful. He wants his church to represent Jesus. He doesn't want Christians running all over the place speaking about authority levels that they have no clue about. They have no idea what words they're saying. They have no idea that when they just resist what God says through a messenger, that they're resisting God himself. 
Don't tell me what I can eat or drink. Don't tell me who I can marry or can't. Don't tell me who I can sleep with or not sleep with, whether I'm married or not. Don't tell me what I can do or can't do. Don't tell me when I can buy a house or when I can't buy a house. Don't tell me that I've got to put the church of the Lord Jesus Christ before anything else. That's not the way God designed it. It is exactly the way God designed it. Ask the New Testament church. I haven't got it in my notes today. But the next time I minister to you, hopefully it will come out the way that God wants me to come out. But the New Testament church breaks away from these people, the covenant people, and they become a new covenant, which is sons and daughters of the Most High God. And God implements a new leadership structure. And without anybody doing anything, they just begin to take all of their wealth and they come and bring it to the apostles' feet. And somebody said, you know what? I think I can get in on this act and make myself look good and I'll come and bring my money and make myself look like I've got something and I'm also doing my, my share. And God says, the heart that I knew when I knew my heart, I'm gonna reveal your heart to the apostolic leaders, to the messengers of God. And in a moment, God reveals their hearts and the, Peter says, what's this that you're doing? Why are you bringing this? Was the land not in your control all the time until you just, to deceive the Holy Spirit and all of those by the Holy Spirit was it not yours all the time now you're deceiving and they drop dead and the next person the next member of the family comes in and says so this thing that you did did you get into agreement yes that's what we agreed on then they drop dead and the fear of God came into the church why because God was looking for everybody to pursue their own dreams their own desires their own goals I'll have my own walk with God thank you very much Peter and Paul no 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 God is calling his people to a church that will have power. So to be clear, I don't know yet exactly how, how the ecclesia looks because we haven't even got close to behaving like an ecclesia. And so to be clear to you, I do not put myself in the category of Peter and James and John. And all of those guys. And neither am I telling you what to do with your wealth or with whatever you do in your life. I'll tell you what I can do is the Lord said to me, I'm supposed to be a watchman over your soul. And if I see something happening that's going to affect your soul and touch your life, I have to speak. Oh, but, but Pastor John, you're telling me something. You, 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 you're restricting me. Not me. It's not me. I'm just the messenger. I can tell you, you should read Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 24. I suggest you read Exodus chapter 24 to verse, from verse 12 to 17. This talks about angelic hosts appearing to Joshua 
angelic hosts appearing to the people of God. I'm trying to prove to you by scripture that the realm of the heavenlies is occupied and is active all the time. Hallelujah. Can I ask you to do me a favor, please? The next part I'm about to say is very important and I need you to be paying attention. Won't you please stand? I just need to have some oxygen go to your brains. So, you know, like, uh, like an athlete would do when they're out of breath. <sighs> Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. I just needed to get some blood flowing so you can be with me in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a whole thing that happens with Moses and Joshua. And then Moses dies. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, I'm wanting you to see that God uses messengers, he uses men. And if men do not fear the message, the message that comes from the messenger, then they have lots of words to speak about the messenger so they can do what they want to do because if they can discredit the messenger, it gives them the right to not do. They give themselves the right. Let's put it that way. They give themselves the right to not do what the messenger said to do. So the messenger gets discredited. So, you know, I want to tell you about the story of Job. I'm not going to read it to you. I, had it, I was going to read it. You can read it. But uh, Job chapter 1 said, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that the man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. This was a man who feared God and shunned evil. So he was very much a modern-day ecclesia, if you like. Right? I mean, he, Jesus hadn't died yet, but he feared God and he shunned evil. And so the sons of men came to present themselves in the presence of the Lord and there was Satan. And he says, so what are you doing here, Satan? And Satan, he's one of those principalities and powers who came in the presence of God. He's the chief one. He's the chief, he's the chief power there. And he comes into the presence of God and God and him have a conversation about Job and then Job says, yeah, but he doesn't, he, he worships you because you've blessed him so much. So God says to, to Satan, look, Job is already in your hands. And it's a whole different teaching. So please don't get caught up in the do's and the don'ts and the rights and the wrongs of, the, of my doctrine here. I'm trying to just show you that the, there was, there's, a, there's a flow in the spirit realm in the heavenlies where where there are spirit beings that are flowing because they are going. And so Satan says, I've been on the earth. I've been, I've been going up and down the earth and I've seen this guy, Job. And he says, okay, Job is in your hands. God didn't, uh, didn't put Job in his hands. Job put himself in the devil's hands. 
If you read the scripture carefully, that's what happened because he was afraid that something would come upon his kids. So the devil comes against Job with everything, takes his kids, takes his, takes his, his wealth, takes even to his physical body, boils and sores and everything. And his wife comes up to him and says to him, why don't you curse God and die? And he says, me curse God when I'm just a human being? But Job had a whole bunch of pride in the way that he served God. Anyway, that's a, another story, another teaching for another day about Job. But I want to read this to you. That after all of this activity, God begins to have a conversation with Job. And I urge you to read it and go home and read it. It's from Job. It's about Job chapter 36 to all the way to 42. Job and God have a conversation, a long conversation. And God is basically telling Job, he says, are you the one who made a horse who can snort and run into battle? Are you the one who makes the seas wage rage? And are you the one who can do this? And are you the one? And he begins to speak to Job like, like you think you're something, Job, because you worship me. And Job has a repentance moment. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I ask you, do you think anything God has purposed on the earth is going to be withheld from him? Huh? No. Because he is going to look for people that are going to be the ecclesia of Jesus. And those who obey him are going to be the ones that will make his purpose on the earth come to pass. And he will keep talking to people until there are those that obey him and look like Jesus on the earth. So if I have to choose, and I did, I chose a long time ago. A long time ago, I, I, I knew that if I used my marketing knowledge from the corporate world, my communication skills, the, the gifts and callings that God gave me, and I began to build a church through marketing, through communications, through music, through the things that were all happening in the church all of that time ago. I mean, it didn't take very long. It took, it took us, even though I was being true to my calling, people wanted this relationship with a person that was going to be significant and they wanted to help be significant. And it didn't take more than three to six months and we had 600 people in the church in Joburg. But they didn't understand that actually I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to compromise what God called me to do to make people happy and to build a big, a big organization and a big church of numbers. God has always called me always called me to represent the life of Christ Jesus and to build an ecclesia, not to build a congregation. Hallelujah. So I know that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is repentance. 
In chapter 10 of verse 42, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Praise the Lord. I am, uh, I'm, out of, I'm out of time. I'm going to have to do second part of my, which is now going to be another third part. But now, yeah, I've got to do a proper job for God. I want to show you, if you can put the next slide up for me, please. I just want to talk for a minute to the slide. So I just want to show you that a person that is, that is in Ecclesia, that's on God's assignment, will find themselves fairly squarely touching the plans and purposes that God has predestined and foreknown for you to walk in. When you touch that, the world system has no, it hasn't got a hold on you. Because what is happening is that you are touching it through the ecclesia and all of the components of your life, although you're living in the world, it is the plans and purposes of God for you that will stand. And so then people, nations and realms and kingdoms become your inheritance, become your heritage. And you become a person that has dominion and rule and authority and you reign. And the heavens begin to give them, give what is rightfully belongs to the church. And so then you have angelic hosts that are heeding to the word of God and bringing things to your life. Will demonic principalities and powers try and bring their lives to you? For sure. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Next week, or the next time I speak to you, I will talk to you about people that have so-called authority to bind and loose on the earth and access the so-called power of God on the earth. And so if you want to know, if you want to keep hearing what's being taught here, and you want to know how you can be free from soul Christianity to pure life, divine life Christianity, you're going to have to stick with my message. Because I don't want to soul you and I don't want you to soul me. I want you to have the Spirit of God as the, as the contact point between you and me. I'm going to show you one last slide before I go, just so that you can have a kind of understanding. Can you show me the, can you show the next slide? I purposely put the slide like this because the person that is following their own dreams, their own desires, their own goals, the self-oneness person, 
they touch all of this thing through the church. Through relationships that are in the church. And they will say through their finances. But if they are not focused on what God's assignment is for their life, then all of the principalities and powers, all of that authority, all of that stuff, it has very, very little impact on you for the positive. It puts you right on the outside spectrum of everything that God's really doing. Even though you think you're touching it, even though you think you're part of it, it puts you on the outside of what God's doing. It's not putting you in the center of what God's doing. And I will take these, I will take these uh, slides and I will minister to them to you. And I will show you some amazing things that God has given me to talk about. I'm going to use the prophet Daniel's life and how principalities and powers and kingdoms and realms and authorities were granted to him and to his influence because he obeyed God. And he would not compromise his walk with God. That's before he became a Christian. And then when I'm going to come into the New Testament, I'm going to show to you how Paul fought beasts at Ephesus. And he did them for you and me so that the beasts that he fought could actually be, he could be allowed to proclaim the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And he actually says in that scripture where he fought the beasts of Ephesus, well, did I fight those beasts for nothing? I fought them so that... I could preach to you the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that you could know the fullness of everything that God has for you. I want to say to you today as I close, Pastor Sharon and I have had this experience, not once, not twice, but many times we have had this experience that we have fought the same beasts that Paul fought in Ephesus. We have fought them. We have fought them they are familiar spirits. We have fought them. They are rebellious spirits that operate through people in the church. They are people that come to the church as false prophets. They come as false teachers. They come in the name of, of I want to help God's people with finances. But they're actually looking for the resources in the church to take finances for themselves. We have fought beasts where God has said to us, you stand in the gap and you, you intercede and you pray and you stand in the gap and you do not compromise. You, tell, you say what I tell you to say. Did we do this for nothing? Pastor Sharon and I have not fought those beasts that are in the spirit realms, those principalities and powers, those rulers of darkness, those people that will come and try and take over people's lives and bring them into peace and come and try and derail you and distract you and destroy you because the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly but the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy and in between God says the good shepherd will take the sheep and put them in together in a protected place and he will go after the one sheep that is lost and sometimes if a sheep keeps running away he's got to go up to that sheep and go and break a leg Literally, the good shepherd will break a leg so he can't keep running away. Because why? He's trying to save him from the wolves. And somebody who's an animal lover says, how dare the shepherd break the sheep's leg? But the alternative is, 
Go and place him at the feet of a wolf. And let the wolf just have its way and just eat and eat and eat. And let him watch him take my sheep. That's not a shepherd. Shepherd is someone that God has raised up to say, and I will talk to you about this when, he, when I will read you more about the church of Ephesus and Paul and, and the way that God taught him and how he had to fight beasts and how he had to bring the gospel of them and how he had to go and suffer many hardships because God said to him, I need my church to understand what Ecclesia is. It's not just a congregation of people that come to synagogue on a Saturday. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful ruling dominating force in the earth. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And we, Pastor Sharon and I, have not been the only ones who have fought those beasts. We have had people that have stood side by side with us and they've strengthened us and they've encouraged us and they've helped us. And many of you have been with us for a long time, for 20 years or whatever. You have observed how we have contended, not only with the external forces that have come against us, but we have contended with, our, with the beasts that come to us in our own sleep, in our own homes, in our own minds, in our own soul, and try to try and derail us and try and keep us. Beasts that have come against us and say you should separate from your divine connection Jerry Savelle and follow after other courses and other churches that are doing so well other doctrines and other ways of doing ministry that are doing so well you should follow after those things because after all aren't you one that wants success don't you have dreams and goals and, and, and all kinds of things that you can achieve for yourself we've had to fight beasts ourselves in the quietness of our home, in the stillness of our prayer time, in the in a time when you are worshiping God, then afterwards the devil comes to you and says, no, 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 you didn't really. And when you preached on Sunday, let me tell you, what I preach today, do you think this is God speaking? Do you think this is just John Ben Dixon speaking to you today? Come on now. Help me out here. I'm, is this John Ben Dixon speaking to you today? This is an anointing mantle that's resting upon me today. It's my calling. It's my gifting. I'm bold as a lion. I'm speaking directly and straight to you. And the, and the word of the Lord came to me and he said to me, John, do not look at the faces of the people. Do not see what they see. Do not try and look at them and say they receive it or they don't receive it. You speak what I put in your mouth and you say what you need to say. But let me tell you, when I get off this pulpit and I go and I sit at home this afternoon, the devil comes to me and he says, ah, got you now. Your boldness, your words that you spoke, that's truth words. I'm going to use them against you. You watch all these people, they're going to leave the church. You think the devil doesn't come and talk to me like that? And I have to do the same thing that you have to do when he comes against your finances. I take that thought captive and I bring it down as a stronghold that's trying to come against my mind and prevent me from preaching the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a messenger sent by God, so I pull down that stronghold. I am not a speaker of my own. I come to represent the Holy One of Israel. I come to represent the good shepherd who looks after his sheep. I've got to activate my faith the same way that you've got to do it. When sickness and disease comes upon you, I take that thought captive. 
I pull it down with not with flesh and blood weapons, but with the weapons of God that are mighty in him to be pulling down strongholds that come against my mind. Devil is the same devil for each one of us. He just comes at us differently. Hallelujah. Please stand with me. I feel the anointing of Brother Copeland coming upon me. I might just keep you here for three hours today. I've been in many meetings with Brother Copeland where three hours he would look at his clock and say, I'm not finished yet. And your bump says, you finished, Brother Copeland. He says, I'm not finished yet. And then he's heading for the fourth hour. I kid you not, I've been in those meetings myself. Hallelujah. You can say, thank you, Pastor John, that you are not Brother Copeland. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why don't you just raise your hands and just praise Jesus for a minute, please. Praise you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. It is my prayer as I prayed in the beginning, Father, because I knew what you have placed in my heart and I didn't get everything out that you had given me to preach. But I pray that each one that has heard this message will have ears and hearts that will let it grow in them. And I pray that you protect the word until we come together again, until this message can be completed, Father. That you would watch over your word and protect it. And it will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish that which you have sent it out to accomplish. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I ask you, Father, that you protect your people as they travel, wherever they go, every day, backwards and forwards. No weapon formed against them prospers. I thank you, Lord, that you give your angels charge over them to watch out for them. And I pray, Lord, that they are the blessed ones coming in and out, and they, whatever they touch with their hands, they prosper. And I thank you, Lord, that you are our God and we will serve no other. And we are grateful that you are the living God who has grace and mercy upon us every day. Hallelujah. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart and just say, I am a son of God. Jesus lives in my heart. I have the power to live as a Christian. Boldly, confidently, courageously. Day by day, I live for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I thank you for being patient with me today. Thank you for hearing me. And the next, the next one is going to be more fire. God bless you. Pray for us while we go to Ethiopia and take the message of the gospel there. Amen.